Hey guys, Alex here, your favorite host of the pod. Um, just letting you know before we get into the app, um, if you haven't heard me, plug it already. I'm doing a Fringe show in September at Sydney Fringe, um, the 14th, the 16th and the 17th of September at Marrickville Factory Theatre. It's called Don't We Look Stupid. Please come along. I'd love you guys to buy some tickets and uh, it's going to be a great show. So go get tickets for that. If you can, alexwhitecomedy.com, grab some tickets. Also, just again, plug in the Patreon. We've got a new Patreon out now. If you like the pod, um, five bucks a month gets you bonus episodes. They've been so much fun to record. Um, and so, yeah, go get them. Go on our Instagram, community notice board pod on Instagram and follow the links there. Also, if you're on, if you listen to the pod through Spotify, you can uh, click the link there for bonus episodes through there. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the app. Hello and welcome along to the Community Notice Board. <laughs> Get all the filth out. Oh, now we can talk. Get all the rust, get all the rust out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Ah. Just a few warm-ups. Yeah. <laughs> a few more warm-up <laughs> bitchings. This is maybe the most hateful pre-record. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it was a bit of Man, everyone got a fucking... Every, every, it was a been, bit of a drive-by, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Really firing on all sides. Bullets <laughs> <laughs> are real hollow points today. Uh, oh Let's talk some wholesome pod Yeah, now. I hope this doesn't carry over into the pod. <laughs> mm. <sighs> All righty, shall we get rolling? Yeah. Hello, welcome to another episode of Community Notice Board, a podcast about suburbs we grew up in, local landmarks, hometown heroes, and coming-of-age tales. And it, horrific murders. And it's horrific time to murders. dive back into the horrific, underbelly of Australia. Horrific murders, horrific bits, horrific yeah. riffs. <laughs> horrific chemistry. <laughs> so, uh, so now, what have we done? We've done Sydney. Twice we've done Melbourne, mm. and now we're going to Adelaide, baby, South mm. Australia, city of churches, city of, churches. city of corpses. Yeah, is it the murder capital of the world? They said <laughs> not, during... not just our fringe shows. Yeah, that's, that was the joke I've been <laughs> Sorry, <Jay. laughs> waiting to say. Jamie brought palm cards in today. We need a pre-schedule <laughs> meeting with our. Uh, who's my fist so hard the blood's coming? <laughs> out. Who's gonna make fun of our fringe show this episode? <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah, that was, it was a good joke. Go for it, Jamie. Pretend I didn't step on your toe. No, no, I can't do it now. But, uh, but uh, I mean, uh, South Australia, home to some of maybe not as interesting characters in terms of the underworld, but maybe some of the most horrific murders yeah. we've ever I don't know if underworld is like under the earth world. Like it's underground world. It's right. not so much the mob. It's more just yeah. horrific. Hades. Shallow and deep graves. Yeah, um, it's it's pretty grim. So where so where do we want to start? Do we want to start with mm. grim, grimmer, or grimmest, or grimmers? Well, I guess uh, I don't know. What are you guys? I mean, uh, my one's pretty, pretty grim. Well, I think if we we can let's start it off with ours one. I reckon. reckon? No, I think we maybe end with that because me and ours have some like thematic connection 
and yours is just a fun mystery. You want so me I to think start? We, well, I think we end with Kirk's, man. Okay. We'll start with mine. Okay, okay you let's get start going with Drew's. So, yeah. and this, and look. Drew fucking got a book out of the library for this one, so get ready to tune out. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out. Blow dust off. Not, not, not the audience. I'm talking to Al specifically. <laughs> like, me and Al could just glaze over and occasionally, oh, no, and, I, occasionally <laughs> and occasionally go, wow, I haven't heard someone got murdered that hard since <laughs> Adelaide Free. <laughs> I, um, shit, look, shout out to the Inner West Library System. It's a real lifesaver. Um, <laughs> I didn't end up doing, like, I read most of this book, but it was just colour. So, like, I don't know. Murder this- is a horse. He frequently falls off. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, and I'm go- I've gone back and forth whether to like give a content warning or I think just we should, avoid right? describing the injuries because it made me physically ill reading what mm. happened to these Maybe let's do a bit kids, of both. So. So, well, I, look, yeah, maybe before we do any – because mine as well, I, I might like temporarily – yeah, content as we go. If you are squeam- squeamish, squeamish, so listen maybe along. Skip ahead to the forty-minute mark where I tell a quaint mystery. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Or, or just mute it and let it play out, so he still registers as a download. Yeah. Or get some like AI to pick out every time that me and Al mention Sydney uh, Adelaide Bridge <laughs> yeah. while trying to tell very <laughs> horrific stories. Um, so this is the family murders, um, and I guess I'll start with the murders themselves because there's five murders that are officially part of this family yep. murdering, right? So there's five victims. Um, Alan Arthur Barnes was the first one, age 16. Uh, he was murdered in 1979. Um, last seen hitchhiking, being picked up by a white HQ Holden sedan, carrying three or four people, according to witnesses. Um, his body had been severely mutilated, dumped in the South Power Reservoir, northeast of Adelaide. Uh, post-mortem examination revealed that Barnes had died of massive blood loss from an anal injury. Uh-oh. Uh, and this is how most of these boys died. So, um, shut themselves the insertion <laughs> of a large, it, a bo- like a bottle was shoved into their ass. Oh, like a long neck. And it, um, yeah, or a wine bottle or something. And it immediately, like, oh, no. sh- like, Fucks their like they lose so much blood that they're dead within thirty seconds. Oh my god! Um, and then yeah. they find in his blood um, traces of a drug called Noctec. Um, his body had also sh- shown, sh- uh, shown signs of beating and torture. Um, and that, this is what's so fucked about it, is like some of these boys were like kept alive for weeks. Oh, okay. So, okay. And, and then finished. Maybe off. we started off with the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, Have you guys ever hitchhiked? <laughs> um, no, oh, no, I, I've never. My I've, dad once picked up a hitchhiker. I've picked and up. Mum was real mad at him when he told us later. <laughs> oh, that, you guys weren't in the car. No, we were me and my brother in the car, and this oh. guy was just got in the car. And, yeah, was he normal? Like, yeah, yeah. We were. Kids. What was he hitching for? Where was he going? Uh, he was just escaping sirens and uh, yeah, he had dirt all over his clothes. <laughs> no, I don't know. I can't remember. I was like a 10-year-old, tw- 8-year-old. And then we, and dad was like, oh, I used to hitchhike back in the day and it's nothing wrong with it. Da, da, da. He probably drove. We were in the cop. We were driving along um, coughs, sort of from coughs. I probably was 8 years old. We were in the backseat. Yeah. As the, hit- the hitchhikers, it's like gone way off a cliff, right? Like yeah, because oh, yeah. Malat, they're yeah. real mad at Malat. Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. He, the hitchhiking <laughs> industry. And I guess like in the US too, because there's all those, there must've been a couple of them over there. Oh, there's um, heat. And even in Australia, there's like, like I mean, fa- a few of I these mean, guys died while hitchhiking. Yeah, but I mean like a famous like hitchhike killer. Yeah, yeah. Not just a couple of people gone missing. I mean, I'd never fucking do it's, it. It's, it's not often your plan A, you know, mm-hmm. as a, as you know what I mean? You're not like, yeah. but it take used the to car, be like, a hitchhike. In today, the 70s, you know? like everyone was doing it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I picked up a hitchhiker from, I was driving 
just just out of Byron, and I was with um, my friend TK, and we stop and pick this guy up. He had a dog with him that had like one blue eye, one brown, um, brown eye. It was oh, like cool. very cool looking dog, and this guy was like just full hippie, shabby as fuck. Chucks all his bags in, gets his dog in, sits down, and we were driving from Byron to Sydney, and fucking. We were like, oh, we'll just drop him down the road. And then he gets in. He's like, where are your boys going? And then Tim goes, Sydney. And he goes, cool, I'll come. And, and I was like, you fucking can't. Oh. So we were in the car with this dude for like fucking eight hours or whatever. Oh, He's reading this Lord. poetry that he I'd wrote. I'd fucking kill him. <laughs> I'd just turn him a murderer. He read poetry. Yeah. Read. He read his poems about the earth, mother earth and everything that he like wrote. And we were just sitting there. I was sitting there like, man, I'm going to fucking kill Tim as soon as he gets out. <laughs> kill both of them. Um, yeah, anyway, anyway oh. so this is so Alan Barnes, age sixteen. That's the first guy. Mm-hmm. Um, second dude is a bloke named Neil Muir. He's a bit older, age twenty five. Um, so he was murdered two months after Barnes, but in seventy nine again. Um, his remains had been dissected and neatly cut into many pieces. So basically, they cut his arms off at the shoulder, his legs off at the hip, then it cut him again at the knee and again at the elbow. Put him into a bag. His head. They tied a rope through his mouth and down and tied his head to his torso, um, cut all his tattoos off, put him in a different bag, cut his balls off, cut his dick off, mm. dissected it. Oh, he's dead. There was like a, there was a, <laughs> like everything else is fine. <laughs> what? There was a, like a surgical cut into where, where they removed it and it had been shaved like the way a surgeon would, uh. which is bit of foreshadowing as to some of the suspects. Yeah, I was going to say, they must have medical experience. Yes, mm. well, there we go. Um, again... The, the cause of death was um, massive blood. <laughs> yeah, loss. let's skip over that part. <laughs> Just say same thing. And again, no, uh, Noctec is found in his blood, which He's is got a no heavy arms sedative. or legs or anything that like cause of death. Yeah, yeah. You know, like well, heart yeah, attack. That was obviously after he died. Um, yeah, he got jabbed. <laughs> he got the clutch shot. Yeah. <laughs> um, AstraZeneca. So then there's Peter Stogneff, who was four, only 14 when he um, was murdered. This is in 81. Skeletal remains were found in 82 by a local farmer at Middle Beach, um, which is 50k north of Adelaide. His body had been cut into three pieces in similar fashion to Muir. Um, not much could be determined because he was like pretty fucking, you know, um, you know, decomposed by then. Mm. Then you got Mark Langley, age 18. He's murdered in February 82. Again, mutilated body found in the scrub in the Adelaide foothills nine days after his disappearance. Uh, again, a surgical instrument appeared to be used um, from his navel to the pubic region. Part of his bowel was missing. Um, uh, and again, they find this time a drug called Mandrax, which is another like very he- heavy sedative. Um, popular in the 1970s disco scene. Mm, disco then theater. you have uh, Richard Kelvin. Now he was age 15, murdered in 83. He was the son of like the local Adelaide news presenter. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. So this is Rob Kelvin. That's um, happened as well in the US. Uh, I think so. Or I think you al- might be right, yeah. Or it was the other way. It's either a news presenter whose son got kidnapped and killed or a guy who's... The guy unsolved mysteries. I think his son what? was killed. Yeah, really, something like that. Sorry, okay. yeah, yeah. But it's we'll just look real. Into that. Yeah, I might look into that. Um, <laughs> just ignore <laughs> Drew for the sake. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt Drew, but uh. <laughs> um, so this obviously starts to get massive attention and like pretty horrifically. Like, and when do you know when people start connecting the dots? Well, um, I'll get into it. Yeah. Um, he, you know, like. The fucking poor guy's reading the news and this is in the news and it's like his son who's been missing and then and murdered. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but what had been happening in the 70s, right back into the 60s, there's this huge scene of like, you know, when homosexuality was illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was called just like the gay beat and it was down around the Torrens River. A lot of like, you know, places where gay men would be able to go meet other men and there's they have the whole sort of signaling system and underworld. Mm. Um, and so this whole, this kind of culture had built up within that community of these guys who would pick up young boys and rent boys would go down there. And so it, this was happening all the time. And there was one guy in particular who people kind of knew him. He would drive around that scene. Um, he'd always have an Esky beer in his car and was often with a bunch of other people. And he would um, get get young boys in and be like, oh, I'm going to a party. There's going to be chicks there. Have a beer, brother. And <laughs> it's the wrong area to be I'm in the famous gay <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, come yeah. Now, I got chicks, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, he was friends with two transgender women and it, it, they were used as bait because they like looked, they would be done up like women and be like, oh, boys, come into the car. And then it would just be a guy in there and he'd be like, you know, have a beer. And then all of a sudden... They like a lot of these boys would report just like passing out and then like waking days later in some strange house, they're like f- you know f- sore as fuck in their ass and being like what the fuck happened. But then they're too ashamed or too embarrassed. There's a mm. stigma around it, so they yeah, don't report it. Sure, but it, like you know after this it comes out, and I'm talking hundreds of cases of this. Like it was just fucking endemic in that um, scene. One of the guys who a lot of people knew was this bloke called Bevan Sp- Be- Be- Bevan Spencer von Einem. Oh, okay. very evil sounding <laughs> yeah, yeah, name. Yeah. Sure, I hate him already. Um, like, and narrows down the suspect list to one. Just the laziest dumbest like Baron von Kilmeyer the <laughs> second. Um, well, he and he had just kept his name kept popping up into like in it, Disney cartoons in the yeah, villain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he kept trying to kill Rocky and Bull. Well, he, sa- he sounds like a Nazi fucking motion <laughs> 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 yeah. <and> squirrel. <laughs> Um, and while the police are investigating, his name keeps coming up and they do, they pretty quickly start linking these mode of death, the sedative sound in the bloodstream that, you know, it, it's pretty clear that there's a serial killer. Mm. Um, but it, and the victims were in the gay scene or some were, but um, it wasn't like the older guy, Neil Muir was for sure. Um, a lot of them weren't, it, some of them, them that, just hitchhiking or something. Yeah, yeah just right. wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, like sure. Mark Langley, for instance, was at a party uh, with his, I think, sister um, and his cousin or something. They drove off. They were driving home and they just happened to stop near the Torrens River and they had an f- argument about something. And Mark storms off and to just sort of fuck with him, they drive off and do a lap and they're like, ah, we'll go get him. And they come back and he's disappeared. Fuck, man. Oh, man like, you'd feel pretty bad. Yeah, exactly. God damn. Um, so it's not until Kelvin, um, obviously, and it, you know, it's probably has a bit to do with his dad being such a local known celebrity that the police really know that the media is going to be on. They, um, they want to find this fucking guy. Uh, and that's when they start finding these like fibers and stuff that they've then collected at Von Einem's home. He's been a person of interest for years and that's eventually, he, he eventually gets, uh, prosecuted and done for that murder only, but mm-hmm. he, there's been inquests into the other murders in him. Yep. Um, and that's like, basically, you know, that is the only person who's ever been, um, convicted. He's currently in, he's, I think he's dead. Um, but he was in jail for years and years and years for it. He never spoke, um, always maintained his innocence, obviously. But the reason this is called the family murders and then the sort of weird mystery that surrounds it is because 
there's all this sort of chatter within Adelaide um, about the circle of friends that he ran with. Mm. So Von Einem was, you know, pretty upper class. He ran with a group of guys that he knew from school and these are like Skeletor. S- like <laughs> <laughs> Beast man. <laughs> man, I love partying with the Duke. <laughs> when, they, when he says, loose. shake it, baby. I'm like, yeah, we're going to have a good Saturday. Um, these are all like sons of <laughs> prominent um, military men. So rich cunts. Upper echelon yeah, elite people, right? Sure, okay. Um, and... And he's this is confirmed, right? He actually—it's not. Yeah, yeah he's friends with all these, the, this in his friends with him. Yep. Um, but he also has this is a record for Kirk. <laughs> a record for Kirk. <laughs> Fifteen minutes in, he needs to. No, pee. he just wants a beer. All oh, right, okay. Um, <laughs> the precursor too. <laughs> and yeah, don't worry, I'll be going to the toilet. <laughs> um, Von Einem as well. Like he's ostensibly just a pretty like he's a bookkeeper at a small. Business. He's fairly quiet. Lives with his mother. Neat guy. Like <laughs> no tick, one weirds ever lived with her mother. Tick, tick. <laughs> um, his best friend's called Duke Nuke. <laughs> um, and his workmates were just like, "Oh, he's nice enough. He's a bit weird." That's the worst people would say of him. They'd seen him like act a bit creepy to young boys that had come in. Sometimes they'd be like, "Oh, that's a bit like Von Einem's a little off," you know. Mm. But yeah, yeah. Um, Keep keep your von eye on him. Von eye on him. That's the cheeky HR message that goes around. Um, and in this group of elite friends, again, like I said, there were like these two transgender women who were both sex workers. They were like, um, you know, he's like he he mixes with like highbrow and lowbrow, like a lot of drug addicts, and he feeds these people drugs to sort of mm. keep them compliant. Um. Uh, but then there's, yeah, there's obviously weird stuff since then has come out with him. Like he, um, uh, th- this detail from the book was fucking very odd. So it's, this is a quote from the book on nights. He isn't able to snatch someone up. He, uh, lies back in the front seat of his vehicle parked outside the Mars bar, which is a famous local gay bar and calls people over to witness his party trick, a pencil shoved into the, into the head of his penis with a Ooh. piece of string attached oh, in case no. he loses it. Oh my Lord. That's I thought you gruesome detail of this. Yeah. So far. yeah. So that's pretty fucked. Um, but Jeez. basically what happens is, um, Von Einem's a little odd, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> He's a strange cat. Um, but like, I don't, he looks at young boys weird, and he does this weird thing where he jabs stationary into the tip of his pee hole. It's one of those massive big pencils you get from the <laughs> airport. You know, that, that big, uh, ridiculous one. Um, <laughs> Fuck me. There, there's all these like suppression orders that go in because there's inquests into Von Einem after he's arrested and convicted because people, everyone's like, Von Einem runs with his guys like we all know von einem's friends yeah but for whatever reason i th- you know some quirk in the adelaide law there's all these suppression orders which only feeds into conspiracy theories sure. that it's being shut right from the and top it doesn't sound like there's someone doing this completely by themselves like he's absolutely not doing it completely by yeah. himself he, he's seen always with a group of people um you know the bodies are often cleaned before they're dumped um, so there's, it's not like they killed there. It's very meticulous. Mm-hmm. They wash the bodies, get rid of the evidence and all this kind of stuff. It's, you know, and one guy, like these, some of these guys are like, you know, 
six two. Like these are big boys. Mm. Then one guy's not carrying them, sort of thing. Yeah. So they know that there's probably more than one person. But this whole suppression order feeds immediately, as you might imagine, into conspiracies. And there's some background as to why some people think, you know, this fucking goes all the way to the top. Because mm-hmm. just for context, um, Don, uh, this bloke, Don Dunstan, he's the premier of South Australia in sort of the 70s. He comes from the elite of society. Um, and he's very he's very progressive and done, did a lot of good things. Like Adelaide was the first state to decriminalise homosexuality. Um, and he but he again is it like a little strange or there's rumors about his personal life right and mm-hmm. and the people that he runs with so this says um in the same in 1967 he outrages the conservative fringe by overlooking a pool of senior judges to recommend the appointment of brilliant law lecturer dr john bray as chief <laughs> justice Dr. Doom. Can <laughs> 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 I say? Yeah. A man whose private life, Dunstan admits, is bohemian. Uh, that is an understatement. That Bray is homosexual, frequenting a gay sauna and fraternizing with other homosexual men is without doubt, but it is the rumors about his fetish for dressing in a cowboy suit and hat and having sex in the parklands with young men that set him apart as an odd figure in the public imagination. Wow. Right. So right. he's a little kooky. Yeah, okay. Um, but also, like, because I mean, homosexuality is illegal, so it's like, oh, he's so, he's a creep. He has sex in the park, and it's like, well, because they they have can't to. fucking yeah. you know go to a hotel together or something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not, yeah. And the cowboy suit. Sometimes you want to fucking party, <laughs> and you know, um, get a ball yeah, whip out. I just came from a twenty first. Yeah, exactly. I'm just <laughs> constantly going to fancy dress. <laughs> yeah, they just saw Barbie, and they were like, fuck yeah. Um, but he was like. He was definitely in the underground gay scene himself. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who was in there? Uh, this the Don, judge. Don Dunstan. Uh, so Dunstan. Oh, the ju- oh, so the Premier? Well, both so would you both say, oh, yeah. the Premier definitely So would well. you say Dunstan checked in to the gay scene? <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, I've been waiting since I heard Dunstan. <laughs> <laughs> waiting to check in. He didn't check out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, um, he, he did a few like weird things. One is very funny. So... Um, like in 1972, he stuns his critics when he appeared on the steps of parliament dressed in a tight white t-shirt, long socks and fluoro pink hot pants to be like sort of wagging his nose at the conservative establishment. Uh-huh. But this one guy, like a weird kook was, um, predicted. He claimed he was a, um, psychic and he was like, when they decriminalize homosexuality, he's like, I've, a God has given me a vision that a big tidal wave is going to come and wipe, uh, Adelaide off the map. I can see it. And all, like, he's stirring up, drumming up all this publicity. And so Dunstan went to, um, a pub that was overlooking the ocean down at Glenelg beach. And he like grabbed a schooner and he stood there and he's like, said he was going to fight the ocean if it tried to wipe Adelaide off the map. <laughs> this guy's doing bits. I think I that like was it. pretty funny. Uh, but he was known as like being pretty untouchable. Um, he was very much known to be in the underground gay scene. A woman who was a beard for one of his friends was quoted in this book as saying, it's an open secret that Dunstan had an affair with John Ceruto, jokingly referred to as Sir Ruto. Oh, <laughs> that's yes. Um, who was then appointed tourism advisor. So this guy would like place his friends and lovers into high um, yeah, place in the government. Would. Of course. But that's just sort of background and that sort of explains a bit of the conspiracy. He had nothing to do with the family, but he ran with like, you know, um, people, who, people who are suspected to be part of the family, they would all go in these circles. They knew each other. They lived in similar areas. Like there's one of the suspect's houses was like next door to Don Dunstan's house, right? 
Um, and he's done weird, creepy stuff like trying to invite schoolboys over to parties and Dunstan? like Dunstan. Like, mm. um, a, a, there's a story about a young kid whose teacher drove him and five schoolmates from their upmarket suburb into a city health and sports center where they're led into a sauna where a naked man is sitting there chatting to them. And the boy sees him, he's like, That's the fucking premier. And he was like, Oh, you, you guys have a paper run? Do you want to earn more money? Do you want to come to a party? Right, Jeez. so there's this creepy sort <laughs> of underbelly. Um, there was a chiropractor by the name of Gene, uh, Gino Gambardella who, same thing, he would procure young boys by offering them jobs at his chiropractor firm, but then he would like basically sell them onto these parties with high-profile people and he ran a porn business. He would make like porno clips of these boys fucking these guys and then almost Epstein-esque use them as leverage over people being like, I, I've got this tape of you fucking this young boy, right? Right. He fled to Europe when he started getting investigated. So this is all background before the murders start, and it's kind of the the scene that von Einem is sort of running in. Um, and yeah, like I said, there's a there's an inquest, suppression orders, and to this day, a few of the names have come out since because these people have been charged with like pedophilia, you know, crimes, sex crimes against young men. Um, but the main guy who is always seen with him is a prominent Adelaide businessman, only to this day known as Mr. R. Nobody knows who he... Well, rumours are flying out. Like, most people in Adelaide, like, we know exactly who they're talking about. He was rumoured to own a, an adult store. Um, he, he was a business owner, but people were like, it's either an antique store or an adult store. It's something that you don't have to be there to man, not like a news agent or something where... Because he used to, like, clockwork, he would check in at 9 o'clock, <laughs> 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock, shut the sh um, shop straight to the gay beat, find a young boy, fuck him, come back at 1 o'clock, go uh, till 5, shut the store straight to the gay beat. Yep. Like, this guy was cock hungry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and so he's got known as Mr. Arb because so of suppression orders. They won't say it? Or won't everyone, say it. They, everyone, but everyone knows who it is. People, if you read a lot of the forum posts and stuff, people are like, they don't want to risk defamation, but they're like, we know who who it is. And what? And so the, he's just, he's... Like, he he was always like he was like one of uh, von Einem's best friends. He's God, always seen with him. Right, like, he's okay. always in the car when so it there's happens. No direct accusation that he's yeah. done anything. He's just yeah. Um, in twenty, I think twenty ten, this guy died, and his diary came out, and he'd written all about like von Einem, and like he there's an, like another guy who was part of the, suspect to be part of the family was Dennis Saint Dennis. A lot of fucking weird names in this That's crew. That's a porn stunt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he was sure. a hairdresser. He owned a hairdressing thing. And this guy whose diary it was, like, recounted a time that he was getting his hair cut and Von Einem walks in and they and grabs Dennis and Dennis and they go into this back area and they and he can hear him giggling. And he's like, what the fuck? And so he gets up. He just, he, like, he knows these guys. They're reading a Mad Magazine. It's on the fold. It's pretty good. Um, he walks at the back. He's like, what are you guys laughing at? And um, Von Einem, like, grabs all these Polaroids and takes them away, but he sees a young blonde haired boy who he later identified as the first murder victim. And it's like him like tied up in a back of a car with something shoved up his ass. Oh, and they're, and they're giggling like, Oh, it's so evil. Like they kept right. saying how evil it was. Oh, and he man. was like, what the fuck? Damn. So, um, as it stands, there are five main suspects. So you've got Von Einem, we've gone through. And so Von Einem like did it, right? The Von oh, Einem's 100% yes. the guy. Yes. But he, then, the, yeah. then it's who else has he accomplished? Who right. accomplished, yeah, exactly. Um, so there's an Eastern Suburbs businessman, Mr. R. Um, the Riddler? Dennis, St. Dennis, yeah. Um, then you've got um, the housemate slash lover of the Eastern Suburbs businessman, which is a Dr. Stephen George Woodards. Um, so he also at the time had a high profile lawyer lover. Um, so 
a lover who was a lawyer, not a guy who loves lawyers. He <laughs> <laughs> um, was allegedly involved as well. And so, like, um, Woodard, they think, basically was the guy who's writing prescriptions for all this fucking Mandrax mm, and all these sedatives sure. um, and possibly had some surgical training. So that would explain some mm, of the yes. incisions. Now we get um, it. Because Vanitum did it. Vanitum did not have medical nope, training. No, he yeah. was a bookmaker by, tr- by mm. um, profession. Um, Woodard... Uh, uh, might still be alive, but it certainly was alive in the 2010s, um, living and practicing in Bondi. Still, oh, s- still a doctor. Damn. Yeah. Unbelievable. So he moved to Bondi. There was a male prostitute named Mr. B who... Mr. Bean? Mr. Bean, <laughs> yes. Rowan Atkinson. Uh, he was getting into, into all sorts of hijinks, yeah. <laughs> He's not talking to the cops. <laughs> <laughs> He'll occasionally be like... Um but he participated in a bunch of the abductions and druggings and he fed the police a lot of their information, but he, again, suppression order, nobody really knows who he is. Um, there's an unnamed high-profile lawyer, again, the guy, Dr. Stephen George Woodard's lover. Um, there were the two transgender people. One's been identified as Pr- uh, Prue Furman, who died in 2010. There's another one who has been named, but I couldn't find the name here, but I did see it in one some forum post. Then there was the brother of uh, an Olympic like medalist at the time, um, who uh, was I did have their name. So this person also moved to Bondi. Um, this was Lewis Turter. Um, so their brother was a um, Olympic um, cyclist, and. In, I think, 2010, there was like, a, or actually, maybe even more recently than that, there was a documentary made and this guy was interviewed, right? And he basically, he always goes, I was I was there for a lot of the kidnappings, um, but I always left before anyone was murdered. But he, come on. Come on, man. Very confused. I closed my eyes when they murdered. And he goes. Um, <laughs> I went to get a soda. <laughs> he goes, he knew Von Einem well before the murders began and all the boys left his home alive after they were drugged. But like the, on, on a documentary film, he goes, oh, during the night, they were raped by Von Einem and other men who took turns with them. Mr. Turter admitted to having sex with two of them. So he just admits to rape on right. this, on this um, yeah. documentary. And he's yeah. also like, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see any of the killings, but uh, he did bring back drugged young boys. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. And also, I wasn't there for the killings is like admitting that you knew about the killings, yeah, at least. Exactly. You know? And a direct quote from this documentary goes, how did they give consent? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. And then he goes, all I know is they came, he dropped off at our place, he went home, we let them sleep it off and they left in the morning. And that was like... That is horrifying. Again, like I said, this happened to hundreds of young boys, yeah, but yeah. these are just not the necessarily the murder victims. Yeah, right. Um, and there was a Donald John Storen, who was a boxing promoter who eventually was arrested in Indonesia for pedophilia. Um, there's Mother Goose which was an Adelaide bookmaker named Robert Simons, was known in the gay scene as Mother Goose. This was another person who was seen in there. Um, Rick Marshall was um, part of it. He was a popular television presenter who did, like, made children's shows. Like, oh. and Always fucking someone like that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Richard sure. Dutton Brown, who was a um, magistrate. There were two magistrates involved in this. He was a magistrate so who that was... how the suppression orders got... Possibly, yeah, along. yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, this, again, this is all the conspiracy sort of feeds into it, but he, um, he was appointed at age 30 by Dunstan. Like, he was just this weird, eccentric 30-year-old, and, like, he's just like, oh, you can be a magistrate. 
but they're all just again running in circles. So it's like ragtag bunch. You don't. We don't really know what sort of happened. It does kind of seem like the whole the conspiracy and the whole they call it the family, but and all that is is it come from a police. Um, uh, quote from a guy who goes oh they're like a cozy little family of these like guys who think they can get away with it right but the the whole thing is like the family makes it sound so sinister and like when it is some of these elite people i think the popular image is like oh it's fucking it's like they're all wearing robes and doing yep. rituals and sure. taking mm. but it's just a gang of fucking degenerates who are raping drug kids. addicts and kidnapping raping kids mm. and then it Escalates with like Von Einem especially because they the, the murders do stop after Von Von Einem goes to prison. Mm. Like, he's definitely the ringleader and probably the more like sadistic one who's running a lot of this. But there's at least a core group of about five who were murdering, um, and and taking videos of it and just like at least relishing in the murders. relishing in the yeah, sa- right. like, sadistic nature. Maybe of it. not killing themselves. But yeah, but, yeah, I don't think it's like it's, yeah, it's not so much assisting like assisting and facilitating it. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just a fucked little Ugh, crew. Damn. But uh, and the reason I say it kind of like you know Adelaide in the seventies and eighties, um, w- like to be a young boy there, like the fear. Th- everyone was saying the fear throughout the city was just like insane, and boys were just disappearing. Mm. Um, and so. It kind of like as a background and as context for why these psychos from fucking the body in the barrels case, mm. that kind of why it would feed into their heads yeah, like in that time. That's actually kind a really of makes good sense. In, yeah. Well, fucking hell. So Should that I, is, yeah, that was some pretty fucking horrific reading. So that's a family murder. So they stopped when? The 80s. In the 80s. In yeah. the 80s, right. Yeah. That, that wraps up. But so they've still never, apart from Von Einem, they've mm, never. No. And he's not spoken. He maintains his innocence. He's um, dead? think he's still alive wow. if he died he certainly died within the last couple it's of years. a cairo in fucking bankstown or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um oh so all right so then let's get on to the fucking the big one the body in the barrels snow town snow town murders so this starts with a guy not from adelaide um a guy from queensland called john justin bunting so he's born in 66 in queensland um bit of background on on uh, bunting when he's eight years old he was beaten sexually assaulted by a friend's older brother um but he was a bit of a weird kid from the very very jump he enjoyed you know weaponry and it, um anatomy and like photographing weird stuff and he had a real strong hatred of pedophiles and homosexuals like mm. a real like either drilled into him or from that assault or just you know naturally just had this like based on that and dharma if I have a kid who ever shows interest in anatomy. I'm going yeah, to yeah, fucking yeah. keep yeah. a one item on this yeah, kid. Exactly right. I'm locking him in the fucking attic. <laughs> so Bunding apparently had like a very like, he was extremely charming. He had like a Svengali like hold on people. Um, and despite o- being only five foot four inches tall, Drew, so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy is this little dude. He's rocking around, um, and but everyone loves him, and he's just very charming and very intense. But like Drew, very, like Drew. Um, at age twenty two, he's working in an abattoir, and he re- bragged about slaughtering the animals, saying that's what he enjoyed the most. Like he really mm-hmm. liked it. So this is all precursor, right? So he moves to um, Salisbury North in South Australia, which is a suburb right on the top fringe of like the Adelaide residential um, area. Um, and uh, that area is a bit interesting because, like, before World War II, um, we didn't make any, like, defence military stuff in Australia. It was all supplied by the UK. We didn't do anything. And then 
when the UK got smashed at the start of the war, they said, hey, we can't make you guys any guns or any any bullets or anything. You guys have got to do it yourself. And we're obviously worried about the Pacific. So we thought we got to start making some missiles and bullets and all this stuff in Australia. And so they scrambled and because they wanted to have the defense industry like away from the north of a country, away from – so they're like, it's got to be in the south – Adelaide's got a lot of land. So eventually Adelaide, the South Australia becomes like the defense industry state, which it still is today. Yeah. And one of the re and but uh why that's interesting is because they they had to like just start up all these factories and all this place. So they they had all this land north of Adelaide, um, which was industrial land, and they built these missile factories. But then they're like, Well, we need to house all the people here. So they found this plot of land called Sales, uh, uh, north of a, a suburb called Salisbury that was just nothing. It was just absolutely nothing. This is in the 50s. And they just said, let's just build some houses here. So they just built a 1,000 houses, which is called Salisbury North. But they just like threw them up. It's yeah. all very small brick houses. And the housing trust who built them all had no like legislation to do any like town planning. So they couldn't build proper roads or shops or community amenities or footpaths. So it was just like dirt shitty roads so it's the bluth company it's a very yeah exactly yeah. it's literally like you know let's just get one up yeah um solid as a rock you know like <laughs> and they're all falling down so there's no telephones or anything in the 50s until 55 so the people were living there for like four years until 1955 they there wasn't even sewered and the tenants were just told to bury their sewage themselves in their backyard oh. good lord so even why like middle class people move in to work in these factories eventually it's so shitty and it's such a bad area that when the housing trust, they start selling them to privately, it ended up just becoming very low socioeconomic area. No one with any sort of gumption or upstarts or anything wants to live there. As soon as anyone gets their shit together, they're moving out. It's just yeah. like an absolute. It's like you go on seek and it's like, yeah, we'll pay you 80K a year. Per, you got health insurance. There's a wellness retreat. You do have to bury your own shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're just doing all your shit I mean, shits I'd, probably, at work. I'd probably take it. <laughs> yeah, I'm holding in it all until I go to work for sure. Like employees used to have to work, walk to work in gumboots because the roads were just like mud tracks, right? So you can imagine this is the area, Salisbury so then that was in the 50s, 60s, but it's just got this stigma, right? And yeah. uh, so Bunting moves there, but by the time he moves there, it is like, yeah, it's a real uh, a real battler's town, a real struggle town, right? Struggle Street. Yeah. Um, so he moves in next door to a couple of guys, Robert Wagner um, and Mark Hayden, and they're both sort of neighbours of Bunting. Robert Wagner, um, allegedly a real real lot like low iq guy like borderline you know a lot of these guys can barely read or write um but robert wagner it was like a, a noted white supremacist but they were like he was just like an you know, follower an idiot like he hated gays he hated asians um he briefly like he, his computer screen had adolf hitler is alive on it as a back screen saver um is so alive yeah, which is the like weird, like weird one. <laughs> yeah. I still, I think he's bad guy, but he's alive. Yeah. Like he's just like a Nazi hunter. But no, he's um, so he's just a weird guy. But it, strangely enough, because Bunting hated gays, hated pedophiles, um, really homophobic, loved uh, Asians. Um, but no, yeah. <laughs> um, but Wagner again, Wagner hated gays. Uh, but Wagner was living with um, Vanessa Lane, who was a trans woman. Oh. Right. So like a pre-op and like in the a lot of the reporting because it's from the 2000s it says cross-dresser transvestite yeah, like yeah, it's yeah, that yeah. sort of language but effectively and they say Barry Lane a lot but and it's so hard to tell if it was literally like 
you know, someone who liked to dress up a little well, bit or it was a full-on trans yes. woman called Vanessa Lane. There was a similar with the two transgender. I just used transgender because they, they referred to as transsexual and then yeah. transvestite and other mm. things. So I was like... So it's hard, it's hard to tell if Barry was Barry sometimes or Vanessa sometimes, but basically it's just weird to me that Robert, they're all like, they're all, you're normally a homophobia and transphobia are sort of a package deal, yeah, you know? Yeah. This guy's like, I hate fags, but I also hate turfs. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So anyway, um, Bunting's there, Ro Wagner's there, Hayden's there, and they, they're just sort of like, you know, sitting there like, hate and everything and and but bunting is just like i really hate there's too many pedophiles out there and and vanessa lane uh again that the, the trans woman is also like uh a reported pedophile it's like molested kids and stuff right. so bunting putting up with her is very strange but they say that um bunting was uh using her to sort of plot and track all the locals because he's sort of new in town and he's and and bunting starts um like getting this like rock spider wall where he's plotting and tracking all the locals he thinks are pedophiles. So he's got this like string paper wall, you know, yeah, like yeah, plotting yeah. all these all these people. Um, he also um, bunting as a girlfriend. Uh, he starts dating Elizabeth Harvey and her, and she has a son. She has two sons, um, James Velasquez, um, and also um, his half brother Troy. So he's got this little little crew. Um, but Bunting in 1992. And do they look up to him? Like yeah, like Bunt. So Velasquez is like thinks of him as a father figure, and he's just got this like uh, magnetic personality where maybe not look up, but look. Yeah, yeah, down like, look down, down, down <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, like Wagner's a norm, big, um, hulking guy. He's the dumb guy. Um, uh, Velasquez is a big, strapping guy too. All the, and 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 Bunting's this little dude. Um, but they. Um, but he's got so he's got all this muscle and everything like that. But then he starts so he's got this like mo where he he basically so there's this guy Clinton um um Trezies who Bunting invites him over and and Bunting thinks he's a he's a pedophile and he tells everyone he thinks this bloke's a pedophile. In 1992 he invites him over to have a beer and then he just turns and just bashes the shit out of him and kills him. And then he convinces um wagner and lane and and barry slash vanessa lane to help him bury trezier's body so he sort of like kills people and then he like convinces other people to sort of be involved somehow to be complicit right. in the murder and he slowly like works them in so um he does that and that's in 1992 um and then they just bury um the they dispose of the body in like a shallow grave and this so that's 1992 then like years later um, he's watching uh, uh, Trezier's. There's two episodes of Australia's Most Wanted about um, Trezier. Yeah. Um, by the way, before when I said uh, that America's Most Wanted, the host of that son was killed, uh, John Walsh. Uh, so his son was murdered, wow. and he started America's Most Wanted as a activism against sort of murders oh, and stuff wow. like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. so it was John Walsh. So Australia's Most Wanted, Trezier's on there, and uh, and Bunting sitting at home watching with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's son, um, Vaskillis, and he goes, like, they're missing John uh, Clinton Trezier, and Bunting sits back drinking a beer. He's like, "That's my handiwork," Man. and and he Yikes. sort of like, yeah, he basically uh, admits that he did that, and he and he made, he got them to help him. Um, and then so that was ninety two. Then ninety. Um, uh, Just imagine Kirk like, what what kind of beer was he drinking? <laughs> <laughs> a midi, or one of those American. What kind of beer was he drinking? <laughs> um, so then, nineties so probably a VB. This is like oh, it, Coopers, is Adelaide? Yeah, true. Yeah, true. Coopers clear, Coopers green. I like them all. 
Um, Ray Allen Davies, intellectual disabled man who had a sexual relationship with Bunting's ex-girlfriend. Um, and they basically Bunting sort of gets a bit off this guy um, and it's like, this guy's a, a loser. He's, you know, he's basically just cucked him a little bit. Um, so he um, invites him around and then he convinces Wagner to come with him and they just um, bash him and um, kill him and bury him. And a lot of this is sort of like a repeat process. So there's there's a lot of murders. I'm not going to go into detail of all of them, but basically it's this sort of process where he finds this guy in the local area who's a little bit slow and, you know, convinces Wagner to help him kill him. Um, and then but they he's doing him. it because he thinks they're pedophiles. That's right? initially what, what, what starts it. And oh. so he starts talking about... Um, pedophiles and gays and he, he, he we've got to help um, fix these people they need to be fixed um but then he starts talking at like the more they murder and the more they do it he starts talking about um um we need to play again so he starts like okay. clearly like well he's enjoying like, it he's justifying his own bloodlust he's justifying his own bloodlust up first and then eventually he sort of goes it's been a while since we've played we need Ugh. and so they, they start a like serial killer uh, it's a pure pure sociopathic serial killer he clearly i mean most of these people some of them have um you know i mean some of them are just like homosexuals they're not like they're not pedophiles yeah, so yeah. it's hard to justify that in any case some of them are just he cures them being pedophiles and there's no real evidence of it. Yeah. So there's it, it's 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 pretty thin his defense here. You know what I mean? His justification. But he obviously he does that at first, gets people into his circle, gets some complicit, and then he sort of just uses them to help him facilitate it all. Um uh Michelle Gardner was another um trans woman who um who was uh openly, you know, uh yeah, openly a trans they keep saying openly homosexual, but I think they just mean a trans yeah, woman. Right. Um Bunting referred to her as the biggest homo. <laughs> and so Bunting was uh, and then Ga and, and Gardner was also playing with Wagner's children in in her front yard and she like sort of whacked one of Wagner's kids and Wagner got really mad and Bunting's like, You we need to kill her for mm -hmm. that. So then they take her and they and they kill her. So they start doing this. And then Vanessa Lane um, who helped Bunting um, bury the first uh, body starts sort of saying that she's traumatized from it all and starts talking about it and starts being like, oh, I, I don't know, this is really weird and this happened. And this is sort of a couple of years later. Um, so four to four or five years later. So this is sort of 92, 95, 67, 97. Bunting and Wagner are like, all right, Vanessa's like one, a pedophile, to mm. put up with her for too long, and three, she starts talking and starts, we need to sort her out, we need to fix her. Mm. So then they take her, um, uh, and also um, she's got a new boyfriend called Thomas um, Trevian who says that um, Vanessa's been molesting her. Or it's like a, you know, like molested me when I was 15 and now I'm with her. Mm. So then they get Trevian to help kill Lane. So Bunting is like, okay, well, I had Lane help me kill this person. Lane's now a problem. Now I'm going to get her new mm. bloke to help me kill Lane. So they get Trevian, Wagner, and Trevian to kill Vanessa Lane, and they just uh, kill her, and then they... And this is all happening in this fucked little suburb. All like. in this little suburb. And they start burying them in shallow graves, and then they... Mark Hayden is his other neighbour, um, who start, he starts bringing into the fold and he starts telling and bragging to Mark Hayden about all these murders. And Mark Hayden's like, yeah, that's cool. And he's just like, they're all followers, right? Yeah. They're all like, yeah. look up to him. And then, and then, uh, and Bunting's like, we got to start, like, we can't be burying these bodies. We got to put them somewhere, right? So then they um, start 
Mark's like, why don't you just put him in a barrel? Like he's like trying to be cool and help. So he's like, put him in a barrel and put him in, leave him in my house, <laughs> right? So Hayden's, so they start like when they're killing these people um, and they're like torturing as well. They, 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 there's a couple that are shallow graves and then they start putting him in barrels and leaving him at Hayden's house. And they do that for Lane. And then, so they get Trevian in, Trevian helps them kill Lane. And then he's like, well, we got to kill Trevian as well. So they knock him off as well. Um, and actually, uh, he, they're, and they're really savvy because Trevian's a bit schizophrenic and a bit crazy and he's tried to kill himself in the past. So instead of putting him in a barrel, they actually drive him out to the middle of a scrub and um, hang him and like make it look like he's killed himself. And the right. cops find him like, and, and they just rule it a suicide. Oh, wow. so all the other people have gone missing so far. Um, they haven't found. And they basically, because it's such a low socioeconomic area, people go missing. And the other thing, and no one really cares. And the other thing they start doing is they start um, forcing people before, as they're torturing them, to call their mother or someone and say they're running away to Queensland. Right. And so they're on the phone and they say, I'm going to Queensland. I'm sick of this town. See you later. Eh, kill them. Um, and then the, those people don't report them missing. Yeah. They also get some of their credit card, their Centrelink information, and they start claiming credit, their, their Centrelink money. So they're just like, it's so egregious, mm. right? And it's it's the craziest serial killing spree ever because it lasted seven or eight years. Everyone knew each other. There was there like Dharma and all that. Like, I guess you can say they all maybe went to like this gay club or like, I don't know, like there was some link in some of those people, you know what I mean? Um, Bundy and all that. But like these people all knew and lived near each other yeah, and were friends. Yeah. Like there's no random killings. Every single person that he kills is like someone's friend or someone's buddy or the sister of someone's whatever. And, and they're all like a lot of them are operating sort of on the fringes of society. So cops oh, just couldn't probably would, 100%. wouldn't give a shit. So there's like a lack of care when they go missing from a friends and family and then the cops are also pretty much probably just like oh whatever he's a druggie and he's probably just yeah, fucking yeah. killed being killed or whatever in a drug deal like there's really no um urgency or anything like that this goes on for a while there's a bunch more gavin porter then he start uh, the half brother is um um velasquez um the, the you know the the guy who's the the son of his girlfriend who starts uh, velasquez admits that Tr troy his half brother molested him when he was a kid and Bundy's like well we got to knock him off now as well so they he, he basically said he wait they wake up uh, wagner and bunting wake up flask and say come on we're going to do it now and they go and they kill troy and they make him watch and they make him sort of be involved right so they like at first it's just like we're telling you about it then what they were doing was um the the murder before that Bunting's like, come here. And they showed him in the barrel, like, this is what we did to that guy. And then so slowly he's like, I'll tell you about the murders. I'm showing you the murders and you might help me bury them. And mm. now this guy's your brother. You have to help out. And so he slowly drags him in like that. Um, then uh, again, there was some real horrendous ones where they were like, I mean, content warning, they were shoving split sparklers up this guy's urethra Ugh. a lot of dick stuff today i'm not I, mean, yeah. I hope yours doesn't have any my one has no <laughs> i won't go too much longer because this is a but like there's some real like a syringe where they use to inject bleach into his testicles Ugh. horrendous stuff horrendous stuff um but then uh so there's a couple more murders like that very similar friend of someone bunting thinks they're a fag or a homo or whatever let's kill them and they do it um then they they're putting them in all these barrels and barrels and barrels then um, Bunting, Mark Hayden, who hasn't actually been involved in any murders, but he's just been like, 
he's just been that's cool and like bury put him in the barrel at my place and he's bragging about it he's just this loser um he tells his wife elizabeth hayden and she is mad She's not happy. She's like, Mark. Mm. He's sleeping on the couch. She's, got a, she's, she's got, got a rolling pin. She's got a rolling pin. Her hair in like her curls. Yeah. Um, so, so Elizabeth Hayden's like, um, and Bunting hated her as well. He said she was a bitch and she was a fag, whatever, a whore. Like, it's, what, what do you say about this? She's, you know. She like, just hates his wife. Just So they all like, Bunting's like, this guy, this girl, your wife sucks and now she knows about it. Well. So they go um, and they uh, they basically like kill her, um, and they they do it without Hayden. But then the next day, Bunting's like, "Hey, come have a look at this," and he opens a barrel and he said, "That's your wife in there." And uh, Mark Hayden starts cracking up laughing. So this is this is how like fucked this guy is that he's like convinced all these guys to be like, "Yeah." You killed my wife. Good, one. Good stuff, buddy. Good so, but then that's the one that. Uh, so basically, like Mark Hayden's wife Elizabeth, um, he's got a brother. She's got a brother called Garen Sinclair. And then Mark's like goes over there, and he's like, "Where's Elizabeth?" Drops the kids over to his uncles, or his, um, his nephews over, and then he's like, uh, "Oh, she just ran away. You know, she left with some bloke or whatever." And um, Garen's like, "That's a bit weird. That's not like her. She was like a, a bit of a." troubled life and drug addict and all that stuff but still he was like she wouldn't just run away without kids like mm. she loved those kids yeah. and then uh mark starts giving like different retellings he's like actually she like she ran uh, she's visiting her father in a nursing home and she did it. so all these different things and then garen's like that's that's weird i'm reporting to the cops uh, that she's missing so he reports to the cops that she's missing and the cops are really interested that he, her husband didn't report her missing mm. And so they're like, that's weird. So mm. this is the first time the cops start cluing in. Then what happens, um, they start asking Mark. They're sitting down interviewing. He's he's like nodding along, but then he runs back to the, the crew and he's like, panic stations. They're really asking about this murder. They go, shit, shit, shit. What are we going to do? We've got all these fucking barrels at my place. They're, they're like, Let's, we've got to move them. So then they rent a uh, they go move them into the country somewhere. They find a small remote town called Snowtown, 500 people, an hour and a half away. January 1999, they rent the old state state bank branch and they just load the car over the next couple of weeks with all the barrels and all the mm. bodies and they drive them up there. Um, the cops are sniffing around looking at them, but they don't really know what's going on. They're just looking at this one murder. But then they realize there's all these other missing people in the area including um, the first victim, Trezier, and Barry Lane, and they realized that Barry Lane and um, Trezier knew each other and that Trezier uh, was neighbors of Bunting, that Barry Lane used to date Wagner, Wagner and Bunting are friends, and they're all friends with Hayden, and they all go bing, bing, bang, and they go, that, this is, something's going on here. Yeah. Something's fucking weird. So then they, they, they bring him into focus. They start tracking him down. Um, and they start following him and sniffing around there. They, they, they hear about a Toyota Land Cruiser that was spotted outside one of the houses that was loading barrels into one night. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, just a couple of barrels of stuff. Yeah. You know when you move a house and you put everything in a barrel? <laughs> the classic Love barrel. Um, <laughs> the Donkey Kong method. Yeah, but even still, even after all this suspicion, so that was January 1999, the cops are sniffing around. They're worried about the cops. They know, like, fuck me. Um, there's all these murders. Um, David Johnson was Velasquez's other stepbrother, and Bunting convinces Velasquez that he's a yuppie and a faggot, and he has to get rid of him, and convinces him 
to um, get into the bank vault. So Velasquez convinces him there's a computer for sale cheap in Snowtown, an hour and a half away. Which like, how cheap's this computer? I know. Yeah. You're going for an hour and a half <laughs> yeah, yeah, with yeah. your crazy half brother, um, step brother, and then so he, so David, they drag David John, he drags David Johnson there kills him so this is like the velasquez is like literal the one that he really does and yeah. this is the last scene in the movie from record yeah this is and this is after the cops are already over and this is the only person to die in snowtown right mm. so he gets him to the vault they kill him um johnson um part of his body was fried and eaten by bunting and oh, wagner oh, they're going full dharma right yeah, now right? that's fucking but then the cops are sniffing around by now like it's literally three four weeks later they find that land cruiser that is spotted in Snowtown. They go there. It's the owner of this guy's house. And he, he's like, yeah, my mates left it here. They had all this shit in the trunk that stunk. And I told him to get rid of it. Where'd they take it? Oh, over at the bank. Bust down the bank. Eight bodies in the bank vault in barrels. Um, and they obviously, uh, you know, it unravels from there and they find all the, uh, all the other stuff. They'd put them in hydrochloric acid to try to, um, uh, you know, burn them down you know what i mean dissolve, dissolve them it didn't do that it just sort of mummified them it's not the right acid to do that so they were they were off on that um and they basically um got arrested obviously and they went to trial um uh bunting like fit, dur during the trial they went through all the torture and stuff electric shock handcuffs cigarettes garrots pliers all these horrible horrible stuff three of the original 15 jurors like dropped out from like I can't deal with this. Mm. All journalists continue to have counseling about it, like the detail. Oh, wow. um, Velasquez said that um, when like describing Bunting and Wagner, when they'd killed someone, he called, he described, do you know when you go to a shop with a young kid and you buy them a toy and the kid's really excited? It was like that. Which Ugh. is just, we, so Bunting was convicted of 11 murders. Um, and one of them, Susan Allen, his ex-girlfriend who was found buried in Bunting's backyard wrapped in 11 different plastic bags. The cops dropped the charges. Bunting claimed she died of a heart attack and murder charges were dropped due to a lack of evidence. Man. She was found in his backyard. Yeah. 11 plastic bags. Unreal. Like they were like, oh, we can't nail him with this. So he only got 11 out of the 12 he got convicted of. It's like, just have some ball. Like I no know. one's going to say, well, that one doesn't check out. So the rest yeah, are off the table. Yeah, yeah. Hayden for 10 murders. Velasquez for four. Non-parole period of 26 years. Uh, sorry. Um, Wagner for 10. And then Hayden, the guy who didn't actually kill anyone, the guy who's, um, he laughed at his wife. Um, being killed. He was assisted with five murders. He got 25 years non-parole period of 18 years to be released in May next year. Fuck so man. he'll be out soon. The other guys, and just one last piece is because uh, the, 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 the real tragedy is Snowtown, which really had nothing to do with this at all. Just purely where they dumped the bodies. It's called the Snowtown murders. But um, the bank vault itself is still rocking. Um, it never got demolished. The house in Salisbury North got demolished, but the bank vault sold for 190k in 2012. Um, and this is the um, the realestate.com description. Purchase a piece of Australian history. Oh. <laughs> the old bank oh. building was originally operated by the State Bank and sold approximately 1995. It has since been used as a rental for commercial purposes and more recently as a band slash um, games room and the setting for the movie Snowtown. <laughs> <laughs> the setting for the movie. And then it says at the bottom asterisks. 
Um, buyers should be noted that illegal activities were conducted in the old bank building and you should inquire the nature of these activities prior to bidding. Oh, my Maybe God. Maybe you watched Snow uh, A bank? Was it wasn't a, illegal Was there a bank game. robbery there? Or <laughs> so that's the Snowtown murders. And, like, yeah, I, I agree, Drewy, that I reckon, like, that, the whole, like, hype and all that around the pedophile sort of shit oh, would have hundred percent driven this. But but ultimately, this is a guy who's just, from day one, he was a yeah, serial he's a, killer. Yeah, he's a serial killer, for sure. Not bad. Oh, man. Oh, man, we don't have a lot of time, but, Jamie, let's, right, let's do it. Let's content uh, warning off this one palate cleanser no, this nothing, one's a romp nothing nothing's going in a dick hole is there a murder though uh no there's a, okay, there's a dead uh, person there is a dead person yes right. uh, this is the mystery of the summerton man so mm. basically on the night of uh, th- uh november 30th in 1948 two separate couples noticed a smartly dressed man lying on the sand his head propped against a seawall um, they basically dismissed the enigmatic figure as a drunk or a guy who was just sleeping on the beach. They made no effort to approach him. They continued their night. Police arrive on the scene the following morning after receiving reports of a dead body on Somerton Beach. Per, uh, per a 1949 inquest report, a doctor who examined the Somerton man's remains, place of time of death around 2 a.m. The 5'11", 40-50-year-old man carried no money or identification. In fact, all of the tags on his clothing had been deliberately removed. Mm. Tucked in his pockets were cigarettes, matches, a pack of juicy fruit gum, a used bus ticket, an unused train ticket, and two hair combs. And apparently these combs are made with a metal that's not used to make stuff in Australia. Okay. Mm. So experts are unable to pinpoint a cause of death, but three medical witnesses who testified during the inquest agreed that the death was not natural. There was no indication of violence, and I am compelled to the finding that death resulted from poison, City Coroner Thomas Erskine Cleland concluded. But I cannot say whether it was administered by the deceased himself or some other person. So they're not sure if he killed himself Mm. or if he was murdered, but they think he was poisoned. Mm -hmm. And so... Despite authorities' public appeals and mounting media coverage of the mystery, no one is able to positively identify the Somerton man. A month after his death, police found a suitcase believed to belong to him at the Adelaide railway station. A spool of thread in the suitcase matched the orange stitching used to repair the man's clothing. Inside the suitcase, uh, a shaving brush, shoe polish, a knife, scissors, a screwdriver, and assorted attire, some of which is labelled with the with variations of the name T. Keen. Um, they bring in, because they have no ideas, they bring in a crack expert, a tailor, mm. to assess that the clothing was made in the United States. To see if it was drip or not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guy's like, I think this guy has riz. <laughs> and the, so the tailor basically is like, this isn't from Australia. So they reckon the Summerton man, he's not from the area. He's mm. maybe, he's probably not Australian. And then this is where it gets a little wacky. The next clue in the case surfaces in May 1949 when pathologist John Cleland re-examined the corpse and discovered a rolled-up piece of paper hidden in the man's pants pocket. So it bore the phrase Tamyam Shud, which is Persian for it's finished or it's ended. And it was soon traced back to a book called The Rubiat of Omar Khayyam. It's a 12th century book of Persian poetry popularized by an 1859 English translation. So he's just got this tiny scrap of paper with that thing that says it's finished, it's finished which right. people are like, oh shit, dude, that's like, he's dead. And it says it's finished. Cool. So there was a podcast about the Somerton Man mystery uh, from the ABC, and the host said it's hard to see this as anything other than intentional. Perhaps it was a suicide note, or maybe it was a final goodbye to his 
lover, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in July 1949, a local man comes forward with a copy of this book that he'd found tossed into the back of the car, a back of a car around the time of the Somerton man's death. Uh, they flip through it and they find that there is a perfectly torn out fragment of the book in wow. this book that the guy finds and it matches, obviously, his little piece of paper. And then, even more interestingly, the book has several handwritten annotations, including a suspected code. So there are a bunch of, like, letters in there. And also the phone number of a nurse called Jessie Joe Thompson who lived near the site where the body was discovered. Okay. So the police are like, all right, we'll go to Joe Thompson's house. They knock, knock, knock on their door, and they tell her that they're investigating this guy's death, and they show uh, Joe Thompson the death mask of the Summerton man, and they say she appeared completely taken aback to the point of giving the appearance that she was about to faint. Uh, but she denied knowing the guy. So she, which like, Not you much know, of a poker face on this shit. Yeah, but I suppose like, you know, if you're like a, if you're a person that's never seen death and someone's like, here, look at this dead body, you could go a little faint. But like, mm-hmm. okay. but also like there are a few people in the reports that are like, man, she like, there's a flash of recognition in her eye and then she's adamant that she does not know who it is. Mm. And then- There's no Somerton man here. There never was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so basically she asked for her name to be suppressed as well. Oh. And police allowed her to be suppressed because uh, she's a potential witness and they didn't press any further on the issue. So the rest of her life, she refuses to cooperate with the police. She never talks about it. The trail goes completely cold. And so the case is over. It's a cold case. Next 70 or so years, uh, there are speculation and increasingly outlandish theories. So some people think that the code is evidence that he was a Russian spy post-World War II. Mm-hmm. Love that line of inquiry. Yep. Others posited that the Summerton man was a former professional ballet dancer. <laughs> bit, di- bit different. Just see uh, what sticks. Just, uh, st- stay with me. Here. <laughs> <laughs> it also Russians like ballet. That's mm. true. Uh, but they said that because it, it was drawing on the coroner's comment that his calf muscles were high and well developed, <laughs> such as that found in a woman. Wow, uh, man, sexy pins. Yeah, <laughs> and suggestion that he'd been in the habit of wearing high-heeled and/or pointed shoes. So the most convincing theory that people reckoned around, like in the 70 years hence, is that um, this Joe Thompson woman who refused to speak to the police and claimed that she'd never met him, she had a son called Robin who had distinctive ears and teeth that kind of matched what the Somerton man looked like. And this guy, um, Robin, the son, he was born in 1946, so a couple of years before the Somerton man died, and he ended up becoming a dancer with the Australian Ballet Company. Oh, so, okay. so they think it's his son. So they think what happened was that this woman, Joe Thompson, has a son out of wedlock and then but convinces the husband to stay with her or says that it's yours mm-hmm. and is like, we're never fucking talking about it again yep. and just lives with that knowledge. Um, so right. then this is where a man, mm. a man named Derek Abbott comes in and here's a little story within a story for you. Mm. So Derek Abbott, he's a professor at the university of Adelaide. He's basically like a professor of electrical engineering or something, but he gets a real hard on for this case mm-hmm. and he declares it like a passion project and gets to the point where the police even give him like strands of hair from the, um, um, some of them. From the body, yeah, yeah. To start doing, like, DNA sequencing to try and, like, narrow the field and figure out who it is. Why don't they do it? <laughs> 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 yes. 
Oh, the, yeah, it, it gets... It's weird because the police the whole way... Like, there's a bit later. I'll get into it. But so this guy, Abbott, he starts to think that uh, Robin, the ballet dancer, is the Summerton man's son. Uh, he goes... He proposes that he was failed to identify because the woman was in a relationship with another man who would go on to be her husband and she didn't want this ghost from her past coming back to mess up her current existence, as mm-hmm. I said previously. Sure. He goes digging for... Um, this woman and the son, and he finds that both Joe Thompson and the ballet dancer son have passed on. Mm-hmm. So back to square one. But then he finds a living relative, uh, Robin Thompson's granddaughter, whose name is Rachel Egan. Uh, so she um, had been adopted as a child and ends up growing up in New Zealand. So she has no idea that she has any potential link to this case. Right. She has no idea that she's a Thompson, no idea about the ballet... Um, guy or any of this stuff. Um, so uh, this guy Abbott, he does a decade of detective work, and then he writes to Rachel Egan, suggesting that she shared the DNA of the man who died on Somerton Beach. And so they meet up at a restaurant, and uh, it says that Miss Egan initially thought the professor was a nerd who showed <laughs> an unusual interest God. in her in her ears and teeth. <laughs> and then she's quoted as saying, he wanted to look at my ears and teeth. He was also after my DNA. It's probably the first request I've had from a man to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, not an everyday occurrence. But so, and then, so this is the first day they meet, right? <laughs> they go, ears, they go for dinner. She's like, fucking this nerd. He's obsessed with my teeth and ears. They end up hanging out all night. And before the sunset the next day, they decide to get married. <laughs> what? Yeah. Damn. And then, she, so she, here's another quote. Those, those ears don't quit. Yeah. <laughs> Show me what them ears do. <laughs> People have said that possibly Derek married me for my DS, DNA, Miss Egan laughs. And I think there is some truth to that. But yeah, they this guy are, really has a heart on for but, this Yeah. <laughs> but they're happily married with three children. Uh, wow. And basically what happens is they raise the money to exhume the body. And DNA then points to the fact that the Summerton man is a bloke named Carl Charles Webb, who is an electrical engineer from Melbourne who vanished from all public records in 1947. So basically this disproves Abbott's prevailing theory that he is the father of this ballet dancer and is a relative of his now wife. His now wife. So, <laughs> it's a crazy coincidence yeah. like that. The legs and then the son becomes a dancer and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's all a coincidence apparently and they're, yeah, his wife, happy to report that after finding out there's no link, he wasn't like, ah, you're no fucking <laughs> use to me now. Ear- Your ears disgust me now. I think about it. They're still together. It's all, all right. good. So basically the information on public record about uh, this guy, Charles Webb, sheds some light on the mysteries that surrounded the case. And they're all kind of, after 70 years of speculation about spies and ballet dancing, they all kind of fall into the mundane. Uh, so... They reveal that, like, Charles Webb liked betting on horses, which they reckon then explains the code in the book. It's not a Russian spy code. He's just putting down the first letter of the horses that he's betting on in different (laughs) races. Because I should mention that, like, they sent this code all around to, like, famous code breakers and no one could ever break it. So they're like, this guy's a Russian fucking spy Enigma machines are fucking yeah, yeah. sitting there. And Run it through, it's like, race for it. Octagonal, what does that mean? He's just betting on the trots. <laughs> and so the Tamium Should poem the, that was yep, rolled up, yep. basically they found out that Webb just liked poetry and he wrote poetry. 
So yeah. he's been on Persian horse yeah, racing. So he, yeah. It's finished. <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> it's finished was the name of a horse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he had a sister, who Charles Webb. He had a sister who lived in Melbourne, and the sister was married to a man named Thomas Keane, which explains TK. why the T Keane mm. uh, appears in a bunch of clothing in his suitcase. As for the American origins, Abbott. Uh, speculates that Keane bought the clothing secondhand from a GI station in Australia. So while the mystery may not be exciting as Russian spies and secret codes, there's still like a bunch of the investigators don't know. They don't know why he was there because originally he's from Melbourne. Melbourne. When he disappears from public record, he's still from Melbourne. They don't know how he actually died. They don't know if it was suicide. They don't know if it was murder. They don't know why there was no... They don't know what the fuck the deal is with this connection to this woman... Uh, Joe Thompson, mm. who, like, apparently relatives were like, yeah, she was real fucking funny about that. And, like, funny in a way that made it seem but like she knew something. What was something. the link to her was the book. How did they find her? Because they found the book that was his book. They found book. the book and her number's in it. So he's just rooted her. Yeah, I think he's and just And just didn't her. impregnate her. And yeah. she, yeah, and she's embarrassed about it. And she's embarrassed about it. it. So basically, the summit. Did they do a, like, you know, I, the guy said he, he suspects he was poisoned, but did they do an autopsy? Like, he could have just fucking had a heart attack uh i think there was traces of stuff found in his body mm-hmm. but the yeah, vaccine I mean, it, it could have killed himself yeah it was it was astrazeneca <laughs> so, yeah it could be anything yeah. so like now and also i will add that abbott has said come out and said it's charles webb and all the articles in the last year when the summerton man came back in the popular culture this was only recently they figured it was 2022 out. yeah and so everyone's like it is charles webb the police have still not said that it is because they don't want to do their own fucking yeah. investigation <laughs> so they're still being like well that's what <laughs> the well, fucking yeah the guy they outsource it to yeah. so the, the, the fucking well, task yeah to do their basic their statement is basically like well that's what this guy says like we'll look into it as well but yeah. i don't know if they've got any plans here. so the mystery is kind of now moved from like who is the summerton man to who is Charles Webb yep. and what happened to him? And that is still being investigated. But yeah. He might have just done his ass and got indebted to a bookie. Tried cool. to well, escape. Uh, if you, what people reckon is that because um, he was in Melbourne, he was married and his wife filed for divorce in 1950, I think. So a year after he'd gone missing. So <laughs> basically like, oh, he's been missing for ages. I can kind of just have a, because you know the stigma around divorce in the yeah, 50s yeah, and yeah. stuff. So it's like, he's missing. I, we're getting fucking divorced. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they reckon yeah, like- she wrote, it's over in Persia. <laughs> yeah. So they reckon he kind of like absconded to Adelaide, fucking drank himself to death and like bet on horses and shit and just yeah. like passed out on a beach. He did a fucking leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, but then there, there could be more to it. He does have those shapely calves of a ballet. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I just reckon he's got good pins. Yeah. yeah. And that's the Summerton man. Damn. Man, I, I've, that, I fucking love that story. And especially because it was- like from the 40, when was it? When it was 1949. You, 49 until 2022, no one had it. It could have been a Russian spy until yeah, last year. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It, it was only when they just exhumed it. Yeah, because there are articles from like 2019, like three years before yeah. they identified him where like, because this guy Abbott, he's fucking everywhere in this stuff. Because there was also like in 2019, they were like, well, check out the kooky love story of the DNA investigator got married to who he thinks is the descendant. Mm, yeah. And like, she's like quoted in there being like giggling, being like, well, it's 
It'll be weird when we find out, yeah, you know, yeah, if, I, yeah. if I'm the object of his obsession for years or not, you know. Jesus and Christ. it's such a great example of, like, conspiracy theory thinking because you look at that on paper and you go, how can this not be? Like, everything adds up, but it's not. It's just a series of weird coincidences. Yeah, that, yeah well, it's like, uh, imagine if we, like, found you dead and they're like, man, he had a piece of paper in his pocket that said R09. And then it's like, what does that mean? And it's like, well, he entered the raffle at the Vic on the Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was trying to win a meat tray. Like, what does R09 mean? <laughs> oh, man. Awesome. Well, what there a fucking go. roller coaster we've been on. That's it. That is a dark and tragic surface, episode man. with a little mystery. Yeah. Mm. And if you like, if you like that sort of stuff, if you like intrigue, we have a Patreon, baby. <laughs> we release bonus episodes fortnightly. We have an awesome episode that has probably just been released by the time that this has come out where we discuss Sydney comedy history with the great Ben Elwood. Yeah, it's such a, a red great hot one. And that's going to be a series. We're going to have a bunch of gonna people We're going to get a in. bunch of people on. We've got some great ideas coming up. It's going to be good. It's $5 a month, and you will get two bonus episodes a month. Apart from that, we also sell merch that you can find in the link on our Instagram bio. Fucking hit us up on Instagram with your tales, places you want us to cover, just general malarkey. Anything we got a great, we got a great song sent to us the other day about yeah, Newcastle. They yeah, hit the all these references that Alex knew. I knew. For Southie Pie Shop, all that shit. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, shout out the dude. And then, uh, yeah, five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Apart from that, what a pleasure, boys. And also, yeah, my free oh, yeah, show. Alex. I'm going to constantly plug this. Thursday, uh, the 14th of September, Saturday, the 16th of September, Sunday, the 17th of September. Get around that. Follow me on Instagram, Whitebait Online, um, and um, links there to buy tickets. Please come along. It'll be super fun. And anything else? No, I think that's it. I think awesome that's it. Shit. Yeah. Right. Um, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Bye.